0: Welcome to the Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Okay. All right, so let's go straight to uh, my talk. So my talk, actually, I've done this talk once before, and I really like it. I think it's, it's very germane to this topic, um, and it's always interested me. I've always been somewhat fascinated by this um, concept of DO2 and early goal-directed therapy, and really, this is intended for the critical care unit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you're going to be very surprised to see how many um, or how much oxygen delivery, the significance of it in terms of uh, patient survival um, and the influences that Are in it, how we measure it, and everything else. I think you're going to, I'm very fascinated by this as a topic and optimizing um, oxygen delivery both in the operating room but also in the critical care unit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll talk about a little of the challenges that exist in both of those environments because there's definitely challenges in both of those environments. So, I need to give a lot of acknowledgement to Lundy Campbell from UCSF, at least at the time this was uh, published, and uh, also uh, John Crite, Dr. Crite, and uh, also John Ingram, who uh, was going to be joining us later. Um, he too is also very interested in this, and actually, he re sort of reignited my interest in it when he had had that discussion or Mm -hmm. had these uh he added this to part of his uh repertoire and actually i have some of his slides in there but i think i'm going to actually end before i get to it it has to do with renal uh because this this talk that i have here sort of morphs into a little bit of renal dysfunction Mm -hmm. uh because of all of this but these guys have all really become i think well established well known as experts in understanding this concept of oxygen delivery, supra-physiologic oxygen delivery, the significant uh, problems that occur when you are unable to deliver sufficient oxygen and what that long-term oxygen debt can do to us. In fact, if you don't mind my getting sidetracked here, and I know I do that an awful lot, but Getting off onto a little bit of a different tangent, my theory, which I've discussed with you, I think already, and I've discussed with several people, is that when we, the second wave of uh, COVID patients that we got, our outcomes were so much worse. Mm -hmm. And I theorize that the first wave, which did better, were treated much more quickly And optimized because all attention was given to them, and it was all at a critical care level. It was so novel. And so the second wave, I feel, did poorly because their entrance into the hospital was discouraged and delayed. So they they struggled at home. They were in a stress environment. They couldn't not just breathe well.
1: Discouraged. Often they would come in, be seen, and then told to go home and check back in.
0: Yes, that too. Um, so and yes, that's true. Um, and then they would come into the hospital and be admitted to a COVID unit, a COVID mm-hmm. floor, where they would do a variety of things, trying everything they could to not intubate them, and they would do that for a period of time, proning and high-flow oxygen and BiPAP and the whole, or CPAP, I guess, it's CPAP, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then they would finally decompensate, get to the ICU, be intubated, um, get resuscitated, stay for a few days like that, continually diminishing uh saturations with increased oxygen uh, ventilatory settings Mm -hmm. and all these other things that were done and then put on ECMO. And my theory is that that difference in time resulted in a compounded inflammatory process from the long-term oxygen debt. Mm -hmm. And I read your article that you're going to be discussing today, and it was very interesting to me to see how comparing outcomes to SvO two or lactate levels, let's say from SvO two versus Do two, had that same. I think it 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 tends to validate this theory that I have. Now, my mm-hmm. theory is my theory. It's untested. It's unproven. It doesn't mean I'm. I, I mean, I certainly am not sure I'm right. But it makes Sense to me if that I don't I don't know how you feel what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I, I Think you're right. I think uh, with those patients um, They were in such a deficit they were had gotten so weak often had developed other complications while they were struggling um, Including you know rising lactate that was one of the things and mm-hmm. you know renal problems and by the time um the trigger was pulled for these people to be put on ECMO they had such huge obstacles to overcome in addition to their just overall respiratory issues mm-hmm. that that's why uh, we had such poor outcomes
0: yeah i think so i think you're 100% right and um, and you know like the lady which we you know can't give any information about her but i mean this is a 40 year old woman who got covid um, our
1: most recent. Our most
0: recent. She's been on ECMO for, as I said, somewhere around 65, 66 days. Mm-hmm. Um, she's awake. Very much. She is truly single organ failure.
1: And she's communicating and all of those things. Absolutely. She gets PT every day. and.
0: But during her PT, what concerns me is that her PO2 falls to 42. Mm-hmm. Her arterial PO2 drops to 42. And that's not with actual exercise that's just being in a narrow chair and having to basically bear some a very small portion of her own weight mm-hmm. i think that's uh i don't i think that's very telling of her 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 lack of recoverable lungs i don't see her lungs recovering i i I just don't see that as a possibility I think she needs a transplant and that's the only option that she has
1: Mm-hmm. i agree mm-hmm. i agree
0: so um so anyway, uh, let's do this. Can we? Can I ask a favor? Can we take 30 seconds? Ramsha has arrived. And I would like to get her up here to the panel so she's up here at the same time, if that's OK with everybody. So can uh, would it be OK? Can I just keep going with my slides and we can get her up here while I'm doing that? Because you really can't see. So I'm going to keep going with my slides, David. Let's go ahead and do that. And we'll bring Ramsha up, and I'll introduce her once we get a little bit further along. So. Early observations, and this is a lot of the work that was done by Schumacher, and this was in the late 80s, but um, he and others published multiple observation studies, observational studies, looking at shock survivors. Most of this is going to be septic shock, and findings were survivors achieve higher values of cardiac index, oxygen delivery, oxygen consumption, and lower oxygen extraction levels. And we'll talk a little bit about oxygen extraction rate and oxygen delivery and consumption because it there it is it is a uh, a, a somewhat inverse relationship. Underlying assumption was that maximizing DO2 or oxygen delivery would increase oxygen consumption and reduce tissue hypoxemia. Does Schumacher make sense? Well, it seems intuitive that improving t- tissue oxygenation would be beneficial, mm-hmm. and that makes sense to me too. If you remember that that device, the uh, that uh, micro uh, that microvascular scanner, yes. I can't remember the name of it now exactly. Uh, um,
1: the um
0: microvision scan. Yes. microvision scan and you look at the microcirculation, the yes. capillaries,
1: look in the tongue, ha- underneath yes. the tongue.
0: Yes, in that ridge. hyper uh, patients who had normal tissue oxygenation flow, physiology, how nice the capillaries look. Yeah, remember they and- they
1: were they line up single file. Yes. And they're kind of just moving along. And when they have poor circulation, there's a, a, a complete stop sometimes yes. of the, the blood flow.
0: And going around capillary bridges and mm-hmm. sludging. And there's a lot of derangements that you can actually visualize. Mm-hmm. She, oh, she got a mic. she got one.
1: This one's not working. Um,
0: so, and then questions about what level of DO2 should be targeted. Perhaps timing of the interventions are important, and patient selection, it says, may be important. Mm -hmm. But I would say tissue selection, uh, patient selection, is likely ultimately important.
1: Agree. Right.
0: Does affecting oxygen delivery matter? Well, many varied and conflicting studies that have been done that cover wide varieties of ICU patients instituted all at various times, and all of the data collected from all of these various studies is really a methodological quagmire. In other words, a lot of data very difficult to really condense it down and make sense of it. So back to Schumacher, essentially it was two, and this is from Chess to 1988, It was two very difficult studies in one. There were significant methodological issues, critically ill non-cardiac high-risk surgical patients, two groups, control and protocol, each with its own uh, hemodynamic goals. The control was a cardiac index of 2.8 to 3.5 with a O2 delivery of 400 to 550 milliliters with an oxygen consumption of 120 to 140 milliliters. The protocol group was a cardiac index of greater than 4.5, DO2 greater than 600, and consumption greater than 120. So you immediately note that there is significant increase in oxygen delivery between the two groups, and one is considered... Essentially, Wells low. The other in the critical care unit is considered supranormal. All groups received fluids, inotropes, vasopressors, vasodilators, whatever was needed at the time to achieve the various goals. In the first series, they looked at 252 patients that were randomized, control versus protocol when they started a study period pre-op, and post-op. Analyzed patient mortality by subgroup, early versus late, which means when the intervention started, control versus protocol, and whether their index was normal at baseline versus elevated at baseline. In all groups combined, the control group, 57 out of 168, or 34%, died. In the protocol group, 21 out of 108 or 19% died, and they found this to be uh, statistically significant. Patients with normal pre-op hemodynamics, again, the control, 28% mortality, the protocol, 10% mortality, and less than 0.05, again, very statistically significant. So let's go through a little bit of background on oxygen delivery, why measure it, does affecting oxygen delivery matter, how to make sense of these, uh, of this, and any recommendations. So background on oxygen delivery. Let's look at terms, formulas, how to measure it. And by the way, I don't mean to to, 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 uh, to be uh, unapologetically, what would it be called?
1: Promoting my yes. own app?
0: Yes. My own app. But you could go to Google Play and the App Store and get my, do you, Ramcha, do you have our app? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm going to check. <laughs> um, but it's, it's only $2.99. Oh. The big app's $2.99. The other one's $0.99. Come on. Um, but how what, to,
1: what's the reference to the app? You can do these things on the app.
0: Yeah, go to the MediWeb app. Yeah. The the Right, the, mm-hmm. the critical care perfusion app. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can get the $0.99 cent, uh, uh, medication app.
1: Mm-hmm, right mm-hmm.
0: uh medication formula app okay i don't want to be too you know go too far how to measure oxygen delivery through the app how to measure oxygen consumption <laughs> how to measure cardiac output and cardiac index so let's go through those terms do2 oxygen deliveries the amount of oxygen delivered to the body tissue in one minute you have DO2 equals cardiac output times O2 content. That's CaO2, so it's arterial, right? Oxygen consumption is VO2, and it's the rate of oxygen removed from blood for use by tissues. VO2 is measured uh, through calorimetry, and VO2 is described in milliliters per kilogram per minute. It's cardiac output times. The CaO2 minus the CVO2, okay? Oxygen extraction is a slope of DO2 and VO2 relationship, and it's often expressed as O2 extraction rate. You'll see that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's CaO2 minus CVO2 divided by CaO2, and normal is 25 to 30%. Why does that make sense? Because what is your normal SVO2? 75, 75. (laughs) right, which is 25% Mm -hmm. of your, or 70%, which would be 30%. Right. But it's very interesting to me how, and what you're going to find through this, is that compared to measuring DO2 versus only using that as an inference using your SVO2 is not, is different.
1: I'm going to talk a lot about that.
0: And that, so really eager to hear about this. And what, uh, what, what I also found uh, fascinating through all of this is that, you know, and, and I think we know this already, but it's still interesting to point out again that where you actually measure your SVO2 from really matters. And jugular bulb is going to be one number, and the right atrium is gonna be a different number, and the IVC is going to be a different number, and your pulmonary artery is going to be a different number. There's a lot of variability, Mm -hmm. depending on where you measure it. And when you're on the ECMO, it becomes even more challenging to really know what the SVO2 is. But what you can do is know what your DO2 is if you know the cardiac output. You have to know the cardiac output to know the DO2. So VV ECMO compared to VA ECMO, even that's a challenge. But VV ECMO is very challenging to really know all of these various different things. Are you going to talk about that too?
1: No, I am not.
0: But we can discuss that during the discussion points, Mm -hmm. I hope. So oxygen delivery is not measured directly. It is a formula cardiac output times the the arterial oxygen content. We all know it's 1.36 or hemoglobin times 1.36 times the saturation plus .0031 times the PaO2. Now, for those of you who may be studying for your boards, Ramsha, um, these are formulas you must know. I know you already know them, but these are formulas you must know. And they're critical formulas. They're the ones that are most important to us because those, that, those, that formula tells you an awful lot. Knowing what your arterial oxygen content is is critically important to what it is we do and how we can affect that, right? Normal values are 1,000 milliliters per minute or 500 milliliters per minute per meter squared. When we do a pump case, and I'm going to deviate from this now for just one second if I can, the challenges of using DO2 during a normal cardiopulmonary bypass run is that we are there for two fundamental reasons. The first they is They oppose to, each other, they do frequently. One is to keep the patient's physiology within limits normally enough to do no harm. We're not there to heal them. We're not there to fix them. That's the surgery that's being done. But if we try to optimize or do supranormal perfusion, the heart doesn't drain very well the bronchial circulation is increased there's all this non-coronary return to the to the heart and they can't see to do the operation
1: so we either do what we need to do to the patient or we make the surgeon have a difficult time doing what he needs to do to the patient
0: right <laughs> yes and they are definitely opposed to each other so we have to the art of perfusion is Finding the balance between this will not harm this patient, but allows the surgeon to do the operation optimally, right. providing they're a good surgeon. Sometimes it doesn't make any difference how perfect it is, but some of the some of the ones that are really good, they're really good. Um, but uh, but with that said, you want them to have the best environment for them to see what they're doing so that their sutures are placed exactly where they want them to be for the best long-term outcome but we can't have them do a perfect operation and have a patient that doesn't survive because we provided them inadequate perfusion mm-hmm. but we also can't make it so that we're we're trying to give them a perfect physiologic condition in ter- it, 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 so that the surgeon's outcomes long term aren't nearly as good that balance to optimize both of those is why we get paid why we get paid mm-hmm. and as well as we get paid mm-hmm. that's what we do Does that make sense So the DO2, VO2, or delivery consumption relationship, and go ahead and just, uh, we'll just look at this real quick. Down here, you see the oxygen delivery. Over here, you see oxygen consumption. And if you look here, as oxygen delivery decreases the slope of your extraction, starts to go up and You reach a supply dependent zone, which is this cutoff right here. And when you are delivering less than this you are starting to decrease Oxygen consumption and your lactate levels are going to start going up. So at some point Go in the opposite direction, you reach a supply-dependent zone. And no matter how much more oxygen you deliver, it it won't matter because this is where your cutoff point is. So this is what we try to, this is our sweet spot. We want to be just to the right of where this curve starts to fall down. That's what we do. This is yet another example of the same thing. The red is lactate and the blue is your uh, oxygen consumption. And you can see here as the, uh, we'll look at the blue, oxygen consumption. And then as the oxygen consumption falls, the red is the lactate and you see your lactate levels start to rise. So this point right here is called your critical DO2. That's where you do not want to be less than that. Now, can you be less than that for a short period of time? Of course, there are patients who have all kinds of things that happen to them. Is it the short-term, three, four, five-minute period of low cardiac output enough to make sure the brain is being perfused? But you know, really, your your peripheral. Uh, tissues are really not getting enough, they're getting some, just not enough, does that really matter in outcomes or is this really more of a long-term problem, complications associated with this environment, decreasing uh, delivery, raise it, rising lactates, all of that kind of thing take really more like hours versus just minutes while you're on bypass. For example, if you're 28 degrees and they're really having struggling and they really can't see and they really need some help and your calculated cardiac uh, index is 2.4, 2.2, or let's say your flow is calculated at 4, and I cut that in half at 28 degrees, nothing's going to happen to the brain. The brain's going to tolerate it as long as I'm flowing something. The brain's going to extract whatever oxygen it's going to take, the blood that it's going to need. The other tissues will be certainly hypoxic. They're going to, there's going to be a, uh, high, high, you know, a hypoxic environment for them. But you're at 28 degrees. They'll tolerate it. And then you go back on your full, full flow, and you start to wash all of that out. Will your lactates bump or not? I'm really not sure. We don't measure it routinely, but I'm going to be interested to see what you found in your. Did you did you explore this aspect of it at all?
1: Um, I reviewed the the commentary article in addition to the article that they were making a commentary on, and then I found an additional article that we're going to discuss mm-hmm. more in how to implement it into uh, our practice. Our practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm really
0: interested to see that, but you know, obviously. Transient situations of reduced flow during cardiac surgery are very, very common. Mm -hmm. And our survival in cardiac surgery is, especially for coronary artery bypass surgery, is really good. I mean, for a normal, routine cardiac surgery, our, our, our survival is very, very high.
1: Right. I don't think we really need to... I don't think that, I think your point is taken as far as uh, mortality is probably not affected by that, but some of the um, morbidities that are going to come with it, you know, uh, ventilation time and uh, AKI and Mm -hmm. just overall length of stay Mm -hmm. might be affected depending on, you know, what kind of tissues does that patient have, the specific to that patient and how did those uh, hypoxic events uh, affect them? You yes. know, did they have perfect kidneys before or mm-hmm. they were already uh, had some insults? I mm-hmm. think all of that matters.
0: Yeah, I think if you're right. I think if you already have, if you're living with AKI and you have, you know, let's say 25% renal function remaining, that brief period of time may have a much more profound effect on you. Than somebody who is younger that is starting off with completely normal kidneys, mm-hmm. or if they have you know microvascular disease, they've had diabetes, and mm-hmm. they have all of these perfusion deficits at the microcirculatory level already. I would think that that would have a more deleterious effect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. It's it's it's. I think it's a, an interesting concept. So then you have, you know, VO2 max. And I I put this in here because I think it is so critically important to what we do. DO2 isn't just about flow. Remember, DO2 is a formula of your arterial oxygen content times your cardiac output. So you can correct for decreased flows Mm -hmm. by having increased content. You can also compensate for it by having decreased consumption vis-a-vis temperature. Temperature is your friend when it comes to certain things. And we're going to talk about that because we just changed that ECMO yesterday, which I think you were very excited to do. And I think we learned a lot together about how we can help ourselves get through circumstances that are tenuous sometimes at best. But I put this in here because, I know it doesn't look like him, but that's Lance Armstrong.
1: You know, you didn't have to call him out. Everybody knew who you were referring to.
0: Well, we have a young crowd. And that is a unit of blood. You see it there. So to increase VO2 max, or your exercise tolerance, and make yourself able to go faster longer red cells help hemoglobin helps are you lance Armstrong fan i am okay well okay he's a cheat in case you didn't know so he was he was it's like taking mark mcguire's he's got an asterisk next to his name for all those home runs he hit he cheated cheating is cheating all right and he wasn't even nice to his girlfriend so, how to control DO2 at VO2? Increase O2 content, increase hemoglobin. Now, with that said, to increase the hemoglobin, you only have two choices. Hemoconcentrate, but if you don't have the volume, you can't do that. So, if you need the volume too. You
1: need to add red blood cells. You have
0: to add red blood cells. Adding red blood cells has its own risks. And there's benefits, but there's risks. It mm-hmm. has its own morbidities associated with transfusions. You can increase your FiO2. Well, we're already doing that on pump. Decrease the, increase the cardiac index. Decrease regional oxygen consumption by controlling fever or controlling temperature, reducing it, uh, and controlling work of breathing. We see this a lot with our ECMO patients. Patients who are tachypneic and just breathing 30 times a minute, they are chewing up some oxygen mm-hmm. doing that. So sedating and paralyzing those patients makes an enormous difference in how we can optimize their oxygen delivery by reducing, but you're, you're keeping the delivery the same, but you're significantly reducing the consumption.
1: So the extraction rate is yes, different.
0: correct. You're yeah. reducing the extraction rate exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, there's various Okay, so I think I'm going to stop here. So you have various different ways of measuring uh, your your oxygen delivery. There are in and and cardiac index and everything else. But we there's non-invasive ways through thoracic electrical bioimpedance. I think it's nonsense and it doesn't really work. There's the minimally invasive, we call it, or less invasive, which is like the Lidco or the Edwards, uh, not the Vigileo, but the. Uh, there's another term for it. The FlowTrack is flow track. right there. Yeah, yeah, um, which uses pulse contour analysis. Um, you know, they're pretty decent. You know, but do we really believe them? I don't know. There's the invasive, which is basically doing a. Uh, esophageal Doppler monitoring, like a TEE with that, you know, whether you can measure velocities and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, transpulmonary cardiac output, pulmonary artery catheter, like a SWAN, which is probably the most.
1: That's the most accurate, wouldn't you think? I
0: think so. Yeah. And then you have uh, SVO, SCVO2, so that superior vena cable via, uh, oxygen content monitoring, or SVO, not SVO2. But jugular bulb, we'll say jugular yeah. bulb. You're measuring the uh, the SpO2 from the upper part of the uh, body's drainage. So I think uh, I think I'm gonna stop there. I'm gonna stop there, and uh, let's open it up to this, some discussion. Or would you like to just jump right into your slides and then do discussion? Let's do that. Let's do your slides, okay. and then we'll just jump right into discussion. So.